Thanks, Natalie. I would have to say that I am somewhat disappointed. I was expecting at least a few of you to come in your pajamas. That was, Kevin, I was, my money was on you, my friend, but no, maybe second service. Um, this has been a, a, a series, though weird and strange, and mostly through the live stream, it's been a series we've been calling Carry the Mat, the healing ministry of Jesus and his church. And it's been such a beautiful series. Um, just uh, even though we've been separated, uh, generally the, the, one of the best parts of this series that we're ending today was, has been the testimonies. And I've saved a couple of my testimonies um, for this last week. And I want to start with one testimony that's a little bit more challenging. It is related to healing ministry. It is about a, a couple that used to be a part of SEC, Pat and Sherry Rhodes. Some of you remember the Rhodes. Uh, Sherry was an elder. Um, Pat was a retired colonel and by his own admission lived somewhat of a rough and rugged life and yet found a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ um, in adulthood. And he was really moved and touched by the message of the kingdom of God, by the, the power of the kingdom of God, by being able to pray over one another and cooperate with God's spirit in, in the renewal and the healing of people. He became uh, one of the, the biggest fans of kingdom ministry. And um, one of my favorite memories of Pat is in this room, we had a a kingdom course on the Holy Spirit, and he was one of the leaders. He was going to facilitate a small group, and uh, his group was over in that corner right over there, and I was prepping the, the leaders. I'm like, okay, guys, now remember, this is an eight-week course, and this is week one. We don't want to overwhelm people. If, if they're unfamiliar with, you know, the hot seat and, and laying hands on one another, we just want to we're going to talk about the content. This is introductory week. So let's not throw anyone in the hot seat yet. Let's, let's just pray. So my group was actually right here. And I, I prayed a nice introductory prayer of our group. And I look up and I see Pat had gotten someone in the hot seat already. And the, they were laying hands. They were doing what he was just so enthusiastic about the kingdom of God. In fact, he was so enthusiastic I talked to him about the possibility of becoming a commissioned pastor. This, this kind of, he retired and that enthusiasm, that desire. And it, was, it was very shortly after we had that conversation and Pat was excited. He was going to think about it and pray about it. He was diagnosed with cancer. And so right away, of course, we began a, a ministry of prayer for Pat. And we, as a leadership team, we prayed for him individually. I prayed for him in the church, in his home several times, council. We just, we, we prayed and prayed. I, I, I like to pray when I jog. And I remember actually the, the street that I stopped in because I was just praying in all the authority and power in Jesus Christ for the healing. It would have been beautiful testimony for, for God to heal Pat. And quite honestly, I prayed as hard as I possibly 
knew how to pray. And Pat went to be with Jesus. And if I'm, if I'm honest with you, this set me back. I struggled. In my most difficult moments, I, I told God, I, I felt like, Father, you let me down. And I experienced a profound sense, I would say, even of disillusionment, saying, God, I get it. I, I, I understand. I, I have the answers of why here, but not here. What do you do in those times of disillusionment? What do you do when you feel like God has not come through? I felt like we, we needed to talk about this in the series of, of, of healing ministry. What, what do you do in those moments? I think there's a number of things that you can do. One of the things that I've found as most powerful and potent is I have what I call return to passages of Scripture. Return to passages that I've, I've been moved by, I, I've thought about, I've, I've prayed through, I've sometimes memorized, that they, they've been so profound in my life, and yet in those moments, I need to return to those truths return to what God said in that moment, maybe through a sermon, maybe through a quiet time, maybe through a Bible study. I return to those truths and passages and bring that disillusionment to God. I've been waiting. I wanted to share these, this last story that's from Matthew 12. You have your own Bibles. Open up to Matthew 12 at home because these passages, these passages are some of my most powerful return to passages within the kingdom of God. In fact, we're going to look at three verses, the last three verses that I think you, if you have your own Bibles, you want to pull out your highlighter and your underliner and you want to Really be mindful of these. These come in, in the middle of Jesus' ministry. And um, it's a healing story, and yet really it's more of a teaching into this healing story. I'm going to start at Matthew 12, verse 22. It says, Then they brought him, Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. So a lot is going on in this man's life. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? It's interesting, this healing story is unlike so many others, it's one verse. Did you catch that? So almost like, yeah, Jesus healed the guy, right? Right? We, we don't get any questions or any nuance of the healing, almost as if the inspired authors of Scripture were saying, actually, the healing was cool as it always was. But what happened after, the discussion and what Jesus says after, that's what you need to pay attention to. 
the people see this healing and they wonder, could this be the son of David? That's a, a wondering, is he the Messiah? Son of David would be the Messiah, would be the king who would bring in the kingdom of God. But, verse 24, the religious leaders, when the Pharisees heard this, they didn't ask whether he was the son of David. They said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. See, what they're saying is, no, 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 this isn't pointing to him as the Messiah. This is this is really, you need to understand his power source. His power source is the devil himself. That's where he's getting this spiritual power. A little bit of a controversy. Verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, well, that's not reasonable. Well, I put that in there. That's a paraphrase. Let me do that again. Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? In other words, Jesus is saying that doesn't make any sense. If you're going to bring an argument, at least make it reasonable. Make it thoughtful. Satan knows if he's working against himself, if I'm using his power to drive out demons, his kingdom is not going to last very long. That's that doesn't make any sense at all. Think about it. And then verse 27, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? There were uh, Jewish exorcisms that were happening in that time. They were doing that ministry, and Jesus says, what's their ministry? What's the power source of their ministry? It's God. So then they will be your judges. Verse 28. But if I drive, uh, if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, verse 29. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me will... Uh, who, sorry. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. I'm going to pause right there. And right there. So what Jesus is doing is he is teaching into these moments of kingdom ministry. And why I find this so important is I return to because he's teaching such profound kingdom truths in these three verses. I want to unpack first verse 28, and then we'll do to 29, and then we'll do 30. All right, 28. 28 is so important for a number of reasons. One, he shares his power source. What's his power source? God, or specifically, the Spirit of God. The Spirit is the agent of the kingdom. He shares that. But what he does that's very subtle is he changes ever so slightly the language of the kingdom that he is using. Did anyone notice that? He talks about the kingdom all the time. 
when he starts his public ministry, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. When he says to the disciples, the 12 and the 72, he says, go out and preach. Here's your message. The kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God has come near. He uses this idea of nearness. He's saying it's at hand. Sometimes the translations uh, translate it at hand, that there is a bubbling over. It's right there. It's ready to explode. Just the tip of the cup of your life. And the kingdom of God is ready to pour over. Now the question is, why does so often he use the kingdom of God has come near? But in this instance, he doesn't talk about nearness. What does he say? Has what? Has come upon you. I can't award a free cup of coffee because we don't have the cafe open, all right? But he says the kingdom of God has come. Why does he tweak his language this way? It's a million-dollar question. You see, he's trying to manage the expectations of the people of what the kingdom of God was. If he was saying the kingdom of God was here all the time, they would have said, hey, where's your army? Where's your military? Where's your castle? That The kingdom of God is not here. Debate, 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 debate. So he's talking about the nearness of the kingdom, but then he's saying, I'm trying to teach you actually what the kingdom of God is. And when you see a moment of transformation in the life of of a person, that's the kingdom. It's here. It's arrived. It's come upon you. If you think about the significance of this verse, saying that when you see a person today give their life to Christ, you know what you see? The kingdom of God. The kingdom has come. When you see a person healed physically or emotionally or relationally, you know what you're seeing in that moment? The kingdom is coming. When you have seen a a, a moment of uh, of racial reconciliation, right? That's what we're crying and praying for. When you see that moment, what are you seeing? the kingdom of God, when you're seeing a moment of injustice righted, when you're seeing justice come, what are you seeing? You're seeing the the kingdom of God. He's saying, don't you realize it's not about armies and military and castles. It's about the restoration of all things from the inside out. When you see that, the kingdom of heaven has come. Live it. Seek first this kingdom coming. Pray it. Pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Live it. Pray it. Seek it. Long for it. That's the ministry of Jesus. Now, I also want to share a little bit of little kingdom theology that's been core. I remember this, especially remember we're talking about moments of disillusionment, and this is helpful, is that Jesus continues to say, not yet, 
or the nearness, but already. And there's this idea within the kingdom of God that's so very important that in one sense the kingdom comes through the ministry of Jesus and his church and you and I, and yet there's this idea that it won't fully arrive yet until Jesus returns a second time. The classic articulation of this that can be tremendously helpful to understand is the difference between two dates. The first date is June 6th, 1944. What is that date? I know some of you know what that date is. Ron, we just celebrated an anniversary of that. It's D-Day. It's the moment when the Allied forces, right, Germany was bunkered in, the Nazis were bunkered in, and they were at Normandy, and they crashed the beaches of Normandy. If you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan in the opening minutes, you'll never forget that moment, right? The incredible sacrifice of the military for that moment. They crashed the beaches. They pushed back the Nazis, all right? There was celebration when they when they established that beachhead on the shores of Europe, there was celebration around the world. Now, had they allied, had we won the war in that moment? We had not won the war. In fact, that's the different date. May 8th, 1945. What's that date, Ron? D-Day. Yeah, victory in Europe. Do you know that more soldiers, American soldiers, died between the first date and the second than the whole rest of the war, a little under a year? That they had to push back the soldiers and take ground back from the Nazis to achieve victory. When Jesus came, now don't answer right away, think about this. <laughs> When Jesus came the first time, was that D-Day or V-E Day, Victory in Europe Day? It was D-Day. He crashed on the shores of this broken earth and he established a beachhead. But we are not to the victory yet. We are in the process of taking ground back from evil, from the kingdom of darkness that we need to be mindful that this is not heaven yet, that this is not a fully restored earth yet. And in many ways, it reminds us that kingdom ministry is not a day in the park. It's not a picnic in the park. It's not a, a day at Disney World that in one profound sense, life in the kingdom of God is warfare. because we're called to take back territory that has been lost. Now, Pat, I know Pat understood this tension in the kingdom, and we talked a lot about it. And as I talked with Pat, I said, Pat, in the kingdom of God, we've got two outcomes from this cancer. It is one that God in his mercy, touches you and heals you today and you become a colonel in the kingdom of God. Here, that's what God was doing. 
I said, but the other is the tension, the not yet. That he could also, for a reason perhaps that we might not understand, be drawing you home. And I believe you're going to be a colonel in the kingdom of God just from the other side. That's not a bad option, is it? He said, no. That's not a bad option. I return to verse 28. The kingdom of God has come again and again and again. I also return to verse 29. Would you look with me again at that verse. Now this verse, I'll read it again. This is a mini parable, right? Jesus loves teaching in parables. And I, when I was taught this mini parable, I was taught it wrong, I believe now. Jesus says her again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house. The question is, with any parable, is who's whom and who's the strong man is key. I was taught that the strong man is Jesus. Well, of course, right? Jesus is strongest and he's the strong man. Bam! But actually, that's wrong. Just from this story itself, the context of the story, but also the, the context of Jesus' ministry we realize that his ministry was a ministry of a clash of kingdoms. His ministry was also not a picnic in the park. It was not a day at uh, Disney World. That he was coming and colliding with the forces of evil. And there was real power and strength in the forces of evil, the kingdom of darkness. And there was this clash that was happening. And Jesus was saying, no, no, there is a strong man. It's, he's the kingdom of the air. And it is Satan. And he is plundering. Let's understand it from the passage of Scripture that we looked at. The, the man, the one verse healing, the man who was blind and mute and demon-possessed, what was Satan plundering? He was plundering his internal peace, right? He was possessed. He had plundered his ability to speak and his eyesight. The enemy had taken all that is not his and plundered that man's life. What did Jesus do? Jesus isn't the strong man. He's the strongest man. He entered in and rebuked the enemy and returned back. He took what Satan had taken from the man and given it back to him. Jesus plundered the plunderer. Say that five times really fast. I'm going to go with this. He plundered the plunderer, right? He took back. Those weren't Satan's to have. The, the man's peace and ability to speak and see, those aren't Satan's. He just took them. And so God, Jesus, he ties up the strong man, Satan. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, he restored the man's life. He gave back what was lost. 
You see, I realize that in kingdom ministry, pain and struggle and sometimes loss and disillusionment are going to be part of our experience. There's going to be pushback. There's going to be loss. There's going to be struggle if we're really seeking to join Jesus in his kingdom work. Scripture is very plain about this. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Be alert and, uh, uh, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, to plunder. His, we know his agenda. It's to kill and to steal and destroy. Is he still at work today? He is. Now, on the cross, Jesus had the ultimate victory. He took away Satan's greatest weapon. Do you know what that is? Death and eternal separation from God. That was Satan's greatest threat and greatest weapon. And Jesus died on the cross and said, you don't get that weapon anymore. That is mine. But the enemy still has teeth today. He's still at work lying and deceiving and manipulating. This past Friday, Pastor Jed and I ministered to a person that was wrestling with demonic activity in their lives. He's still at work today, but praise God, he who is within you, 1 John 4.4, 4, is greater than he who is in the world. The Spirit of God in you is greater than he who is in the world. We get to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the other thing that I like to think about too is even when the enemy strikes a blow, God takes that and uses it for good. Many of you will recall the thorn in the flesh idea of the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says about the thorn in the flesh. He says this. Paul's talking about, we don't really know what it was. I believe it was eyesight, that his eyesight was diminishing, and it was affecting his ministry. Could have been more than that, was probably more than that, but he says this. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul actually knows much of the purpose of why God allowed the enemy to strike a blow at him. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take, take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Notice a couple of things about there. If it was his eyesight, he didn't go, oh, well, that's my eyesight. That's the will of God. That's what he's, I, I'm not going to pray about it. I'm just, no, no, no. He said, I know that God is at work restoring all things. I'm going to pray and press in and ask for healing of everything in and outside of my life. And yet Paul, he reveals to Paul 
that there's a, a work of humility that he was working in Paul. That there's an understanding of grace and weakness and strength that he was working in Paul. Even though the enemy was working in Paul, God was taking that and for reasons that Paul articulates, decided not to heal him, but work in those ways. Did Paul, was he ever healed of the thorn in the flesh? We don't know. Probably not. Does Paul have that thorn in the flesh right now? He does not. He's been healed and in restored in heaven. Pat, yes, he died of cancer. Does he have cancer now? He does not. He doesn't, and furthermore, he's in the presence of Jesus. No more pain, no more, no more struggle. In fact, he may be part of the cloud of witnesses right now that's looking down on us in this moment. Maybe he's looking down on his wife. I don't know. <laughs> but he's celebrating in the presence of Jesus. Another story I wanted to share, a testimony. It was right when I had left uh, seminary and we did some church planning in Chula Vista outside of San Diego. And I met uh, this sweet uh, Latino couple, Adrian and Angie. They were our neighbors down the way. We were a young couple, a couple kids. They didn't have any kids yet. And uh, I shared with Adrian, we, <coughs> excuse me, did a block party together for this new neighborhood. And, uh, and he wasn't really interested in the new church that we were starting because he was raised Catholic and they were kind of involved in the Catholic church, which was fine. Really liked Adrian. Well, we would see him around the neighborhood and all those kind of things. A couple months, I would say about six months after being there, we got a knock on the door, and it was Adrian, and you could see he was jaundiced. He, all his skin was yellow. And he said, he and his wife came, and he said, they said, Eric, um, I've been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. This young guy. He said, they've, they've given me between six months and a year to live, and I'm going to start treatment, and, uh, and they're going to try and extend my life for as long as they can. So, of course, we prayed for him, did our best to care for him. About a week later, I received a phone call, and it was Adrian. He said, uh, Eric, you're a pastor, right? I said, yeah. He said, could you come over and talk with me a bit? I said, sure. I go over to Adrian's house, and he says, listen, I'm, I'm coming to the point of I'm, I'm okay to die, but I'm concerned about my wife and her mom who lived with them, and would they be okay? And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm just so afraid. Can you tell me anything to relieve my fear? As a young pastor, I'm thinking, sacred moment. So I said, I said, Adrian, has anyone explained the gospel of what the Bible is all about to you? Has anyone talked about the why of the cross? He says, no, not really. 
And so I explained the gospel and I said, the promise is that when we die, we live again if we ask Christ into our lives. He started crying. He said, I've never heard that message. Do you want to pray this? He said, yes, I want to pray this. He prayed and gave his life to Christ. It was a beautiful moment. And then afterwards he said, Eric, is Jesus going to heal me? I said, I don't know, Amy. But I do know this. We get to ask. We get to trust. I talked about the two options, not with the kernel part, but... About two months later, there was a knock at the door, and it was Adrian. And mysteriously and miraculously, his pancreatic cancer was gone, and he's still alive today. Now, I know that I prayed harder and more faith with Pat than I did with Adrian. I can't answer the whys of God's providence in there. But that verse 30 has become important to me. Again, it's whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. In other words, the Lord is saying there's no neutral ground in the kingdom of God. You're either working in the kingdom, working for the purposes of Christ, or you're not. And I'm not going to allow moments of disillusionment or doubt Put me on the other side. I might not get it. And in my future, I realize there's going to be more paths. But there's also going to be more Adrians. And I'm going to live and join Christ in the gathering, in the healing, in the restoring. A famous pastor who passed away, John Wimber, and his story, he started really the vineyard movement or denomination of churches, and, and he said this, he, for, he started preaching and teaching healing and the kingdom of God. He says he was preaching and teaching and everyone he would pray for was not being healed. And the congregation was becoming so discouraged that they were leaving left and right, one of the things the Lord told him was to preach Scripture, not your experience. So he kept preaching Scripture. He kept praying for people. They kept not getting healed. said he prayed for a hundred people. And nothing happened. And then there was a breakthrough. One person. I love the story. I won't go into it, but he was and then he went into the husband, he prayed for the wife, and he went into a story of the already but not yet kingdom, explaining why she probably wasn't going to be healed, and she got up, and she was healed. And this is what he said. 
He said, when I didn't pray for people, no one got healed. When I did pray for people, some of the people got healed. I'm going to choose the sum of the people rather than none of them. I want to invite you to choose the sum of the people. The best that I could, I've boiled down, there's no formulas to praying for people, right? This is not magic. You don't say the particular phrase like a Harry Potter moment and it happens, or if you get the phrase wrong, it's, no, that's not it. This is, this is the kingdom of God. And so there's no formulas, but there's, I have in your outline, which I've gone away from quite a bit this morning, but in your outline is the best four ways that I can get it, the, the simplest I can, is that one, it, it's really modeled after the ministry of Jesus. And again, it looks different, but there's no formula for Jesus, but we see a repetition of many of the things in the life of Christ. One is Jesus, as we've talked about, he asked questions all the time, right? Even when he knew the blind man yelling out, son of David, have mercy on me. He says, what can I do for you? Everybody knows what he, he's asking for, but Jesus asked, right? He's looking for faith. You remember the, 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 the boy with the father who was demon-possessed, and he says, how long has, has he been like this? He's, he's asking questions. We get to ask questions of people. What's on your heart? What, what are you struggling with? What the pain? And so as we want to do kingdom ministry, we want to listen to people and what's happening. What is the enemy working against the life? You're understanding a little bit of the enemy's work as you ask the person in need. And then you listen to the Spirit. That's what Jesus did. He says, I'm constantly listening to what God is doing. The Spirit will give you gifts sometimes. He'll, he'll give you words of knowledge. He'll give you visions and pictures. He's saying, would you pause? Don't rush in, but listen to what the Spirit, He's the agent of the kingdom. You're not going to get anything done outside of the power of the Spirit. Listen for the Spirit. He is your counselor and your God. And then you simply, led by the Spirit, pray for the kingdom. Right? That's why he said, pray it this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is there demon possession in heaven? So pray that reality into that life. Is there cancer in heaven? Then you pray that reality. Is there racial prejudice in heaven? You pray that reality. Is there unforgiveness in heaven? You pray the kingdom of God on this earth. We join with the Lord. We bind up the strong man. Who's the strong man? Satan. You plunder back. You, you take back. And then you listen for next steps. I love the one story where Jesus prays for a man and he opens his eyes and he sees people, but they look like trees. 
So Jesus prays again. That's the one story. I think that one story is in there to give us encouragement. We get to keep praying for people. It's a process. Sometimes we journey in healing with people. As plainly as I can say it, listen to the person, listen to the spirit, pray the kingdom, listen for the next steps. This is the end of our healing ministry series of Jesus, so do we stop joining him in the healing ministry today? Yeah, no cup of coffee. That's so obvious. In that, no, that's the kingdom. That's what we're doing. That's his invitation. That's the, the kingdom life. We're not to sit on the stands, but be engaged in his work today in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you do that with me? Would you join with me? Even in the moments of questions and disillusionment? Mikey is with me. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. So, Lord, what a story. What a truth. What a gospel. What a message. What a ministry that you have given us, Lord. Whether we are teachers or truck drivers or pastors or engineers, you have called us to this ministry to join with you. Lord, we want to be a people who gathers the kingdom of God, people in the kingdom, not scatters. Lord, we recognize that we are we are crooked instruments that we can't do it on our own strength or power or wisdom or will. We desperately need you. But thank you that you have given us communion to straighten us out, to fill us again with your manifest to forgive us and renew us.